Hello and welcome to the Ocean Impact Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Silverwood. And the guest on the podcast today is Fiona Nixon, who is the Head of Strategy and Communications at Bank Australia. Now, no doubt if you've been following the Ocean Impact Pitch Fest 2020, you've noticed the Bank Australia logo on there. They are the presenting partner for Pitch Fest. They're offering up the $15,000 cash prize to the winner. So we thought it was important to dive deep and learn about this unique financial institution. This is not an ad. Of course, Bank Australia are a sponsor of the Ocean Impact Pitch Fest, but we just wanted to tell this story because we really believe that purpose-led business is the future. And Bank Australia, they're a B Corp, they're carbon neutral, their values are so aligned with climate action and social justice, and they just are doing great things. So we wanted to tell that story. We talk a little bit in the podcast about the campaign Half Cut, of which I was a half cut participant this year, whereby throughout the month of August, I was raising funds to raise awareness of the fact that 50% of the world's rainforests have been lost. And when it gets to the end of the month, you have to shave off half of your beard or braid half of your hair or wear half a face of makeup to raise funds. The team at Bank Australia raised $150,000 for that campaign this year, which meant that the Half Cut team were able to purchase a beautiful plot of rainforest in the Daintree in far north Queensland that is now going to be provided back to the traditional Aboriginal owners of the land. Pretty awesome campaign. Uh, what else to say? It's the final three weeks of Pitch Fest. We've only got until the 5th of October 2020 to get your applications in. So time is running out. Make sure you tell all those ocean impact innovators and entrepreneurs about the opportunity. We want to see as many applications from around the world as possible. Thanks as always for your support. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Ocean Impact Podcast. I'm very pleased to have on the Ocean Impact podcast today, Fiona Nixon, who is the Head of Strategy and Communications at Bank Australia. How are you, Fiona? Very well, thanks, Tim. And it's an absolute pleasure to be invited to be here today. Yeah, well, we're uh, very thankful you're able to make the time as well. I'm excited about this conversation. We've got quite a few points in the discussion to get through, but I thought we'd start where we always like to start with our guests, which is a a conversation about you and your relationship with the ocean. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about your relationship with the ocean? Yeah, sure, Tim. Um, look, I'm someone that grew up in Johannesburg in South Africa, which is uh, about eight hours drive from the nearest ocean. Um, but my father actually grew up in Cape Town and spent his whole childhood swimming in the Atlantic every day. And so, you know, every time we had a, a holiday, we would um, pack up the car and head down to the sea. And my brother and I would compete. We knew which hill it was that you could start to see the ocean. And we would, you know, be, there was a big fierce competition for who could see it first. Um, <laughs> and I think it, it, it instilled in, in us this kind of sense of the ocean being quite, you know, mysterious and, and magical. And it was a place that we, you know, we dream, dreamt about in the in-between times. So, um, you know, my dad made sure that we were really strong swimmers and he would take us out kind of 
into you know the waves beyond the breakers and we, we would hang out there for hours on end kind of having the time of our lives so you know for me I now I guess as an adult I've always kind of gone back to the ocean for that feeling of you know there's that sense of power and majesty of it um, and it still it still makes me excited to go to the beach today yeah, it doesn't at all. I mean, I'm exactly the same. It's just such an intoxicating force and you take me away from it for too long and I don't become the nicest human being. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about then your role at Bank Australia, the head of strategy and communications, and maybe use that as a platform to tell us a little bit about who Bank Australia is. Sure, no problem. Um, so at Bank Australia, my role is helping the organisation uh, be clear about its strategy and be clear about its purpose, which is, um, you know, a humbling kind of job to have. Um, you know, the bank is quite a special place and you know, I worked in uh, not-for-profits and in government for a long time because I really wanted to see something positive happen in the world and see positive change happen. Uh, and it was only really when I discovered Bank Australia and this idea of combining business and the kind of imperative of running a business with um, positive change that, that everything sort of really clicked for me, you know, the pace of business, the need to make decisions, to act on them and, and forward your own destiny uh, was something that um, combined with you know, let's do something really good for community and the planet is something that um, motivates me and inspires me every day. Fantastic. So you've been there for about seven years, is it now? What were you doing? Yeah. Uh, you mentioned a little bit of those roles prior. Um, yeah, what's it been like being there for seven years? Look, it's been a fantastic journey at Bank Australia. Um, you know, we've, we've gone from being a really kind of, when I joined, it was a relatively small, uh, a small bank with um, a very unrecognisable name. And over the last six years, I think we, we've really built up uh, Bank Australia to be what it is today and to really try and you know, lead on this conversation about the importance of, of money in banking. So you mentioned there a little bit about the the name change. How about we go into a bit of a, a history of Bank Australia? Um, give us a little bit of a snapshot of how it's evolved over the over the decades. Yeah, sure. Well, um, we go back to 1957, and we were formed uh, to be the credit union for the scientists at CSIRO. So, you know, we have a, a pedigree of, of people very um, you know concerned about science and truth and environment um, and over time a whole range of, of credit unions merged together so we have education we have um, lecturers from universities um, and also lots of regional area uh, credit unions come together to form what was called MECU and uh, MECU started to grow and really um, started to develop this idea of um, being connected with sustainable development. So you know, back in 2003, before it was sort of popular at all, um, that a credit union started to adopt principles of sustainable development and started to look at sustainability reporting, uh, even as, and which was quite remarkable for, for such a small organisation. Um, and over time that, um, that 
clarity of purpose has really grown and, and the organisation has found itself, um, I guess, in a, you know, with a lot of um, the society catching up with it in some ways. Um, and I think it's really been able to tap into, uh, you know, the zeitgeist of, of people starting to think about themselves as consumers with power and, you know, to, to really start to question the role of, of business. And it was, um, you know, there was a lot of pedigree already in the organisation by the time we became Bank Australia in 2015. That's exactly why we wanted to have this conversation today, because of that leadership around being a purpose-driven business. So why don't you tell us a little bit about then some of those mm -hmm. values that the, the Bank Australia stands by to this day? Yeah. Well, look, it's really, you know, not a lot of people know about credit unions and you sort of say credit union and it does have a very stuffy kind of old fashioned <laughs> sound about it. No, um, no offence to the credit unions around the country doing great work. Um, but, you know, they are really the original crowdfunding platform. You know, um, it was, it's been a tradition of people coming together, pooling their money to help each other and to help their communities. Um, you know, and the the reason why people come came together in that way has obviously changed. So, you know, we all forget that post the Second World War, um, the established banks wouldn't give people a loan for, you know, cars or even white goods that were very expensive at the time. And so credit unions stepped into the gap and created a way of ordinary people supporting each other to improve their lives and to improve the lives of their communities. So Bank Australia has held on to that, that notion of, of inspiring and empowering people um, as really one of our core values. Uh, and because we are, you know, now we talk about ourselves as a customer-owned bank, uh, but that value of, of bringing like-minded people together with a, with a purpose to do something beneficial for themselves, obviously as individuals, but also thinking about positive impact more broadly, um, is something that we've just, we've just tried to reinvent for, for the current issues facing society and, and the current issues that our customers are really, really care about, um, which is why we're so involved and, and really work hard to have a leadership position on climate action, uh, you know, housing in a you know, unaffordability uh, and things that, that people are really, you know, the problems of today rather than, you know, the problems of, of uh, post-World War II times. Let's talk a little bit then about those, um, you know, those defined um, values and, and, and how that translates into what you will and won't invest your customers' money in. Mm, sure. So we... As part of that customer ownership, we, we work hard to try and understand what's important to our customers, as I said. So every couple of years, we go out and we ask them very specifically which issues they are concerned about and also, you know, what do they want the bank to be doing and, and what do they, how do they see our role in responding. And a couple of years ago, we started to talk to customers about, you know, do you realise that the money that you put with us, we invest in other projects, we, we lend it to other customers and some of those customers are individuals, but some of them are organisations and businesses. So it doesn't matter to you where that money, who we lend to and who, who we provide your money to. Uh, and customers definitely did. And so out of that, we've created our 
responsible banking policy, which um, for those people who are familiar with um, some of the superannuation funds who are doing this very well, they have positive and negative screens. So the positive screens are the kinds of industries that they really want to invest in and then the negative screens are those that they would prefer to avoid. Um, and so we've applied that, that really great idea to banking and to lending. Uh, and the first iteration of our policy uh, included some filters around um, avoiding fossil fuels, so which was a long-standing commitment, but it was it was formalised in this policy. Uh, we also have chosen um, not to invest in uh, gambling, so industries that that generate revenue from gambling, uh, armaments and and arms, um, nuclear weapons in particular, uh, and the live animal export trade and intensive farming. Uh, for the reasons that there are quite, you know, significant animal welfare, health and also environmental concerns associated with those industries. Um, so those are our negative filters. Uh, and instead, we have committed to uh, lend our customers money to more positive things. So we do a lot of work at the moment with specialist disability accommodation, trying to, you know, provide the funding for um, individuals, but also organisations who are building purpose-built housing for particularly for young people who, you know, at the moment there are a lot of young people who have to live in aged care facilities because there is nowhere else for them to live, which is, you know, it's just, it's a travesty. It's awful. Uh, and so we were the first bank to figure out how to actually fund these projects in a way that benefits um, the organisation and the bank. Um, and we also do a lot of work in uh, affordable housing and housing for women escaping uh, family violence. Um, so it's those kind of more positive and constructive um, areas that we try and find uh, lending solutions for with our customers' money. It just lends me to have a conversation about sort of conscious consumerism. And I can only hope and imagine that the you know those values and those responsible banking policy points that you discussed then it must be leading people to actually go this is the bank i would like to be working with because there is a rise in people out there myself included who who label themselves a conscious consumer i want to know the good bad the ugly the impressive i want to know where my money goes i want to know the impact of my consumption and You've just painted a pretty clear picture there that, um, you know, when your money's invested with Bank Australia, it is having a positive impact, which I think most people out there really want. Are you seeing a rise in a consumer base that are from this sort of more conscious consumer mindset? Yeah, absolutely. There's no doubt about it, uh, Tim. And I think, uh, you know, a lot of the research has been done um, into younger people's attitudes, um, but we're definitely seeing a shift in consciousness across the board, you know, from across the board in terms of age, in terms of location. Um, you know, I think some of those stereotypes we have about the hipsters in the inner city are certainly true. You know, there is a, there is a, a growing um, group of people, young people in inner cities, but we've been um, attracting lots of new customers from regional centres uh, in Victoria and uh, particularly in Victoria and New South Wales. So I think people are, people are, are really thinking about, um, you know, we have a certain amount of um, enfranchisement throughout who we vote for, but then, you know, I think people are quite frustrated by the 
the lack of, of power and action that they get through that kind of um, vote. And so, you know, we're all consumers and we all have choices to make about where we consume and people are wanting more information. They're wanting more transparency um, and they want to they want to understand, you know, what companies are doing. Um, and I think they also expect more and more that companies are not just about profit maximisation. Um, there's, there seems to be a real shift in in terms of businesses uh, having a role to play in solving some of these social and environmental problems. And I think it's because people can see that those problems are not going to just be solved um, by government and the not-for-profit sector, and it's not fair to think that that's, that's going to happen. Um, now you're speaking our language. You're really getting to the core of, of why OIO exists and, you know, it really is a time for a new generation of business that can get out there and make a dollar but also make a positive impact on the world. I wanted to probe a little bit deeper on that because we did shine a little light onto um, Bank Australia and, and what can be gained from conscious consumers um, banking with you. But then that then leads itself to all talk about the big banks and, and, and what are some of the things that maybe we don't know that are the consequence of, of, of uh, those people out there with money invested in the big four? Mm. Look, it's, um, you know, the banking system, I think there is generally, um, the banking system is quite opaque. And so, you know, it is difficult to get the kind of transparency that you might be looking for um, in the banking area. Um, so I guess we've been having conversations with Australians all over the country for the past couple of years and we've been, you know, we've been just asking them the question, you know, do you know what the money in your bank account is doing when you're not using it? And people just kind of go, what? But it's just, it's my money. It's just, you know, but it's not actually um, because money moves and, the economy and banking is based on the fact that money is constantly in motion and it's constantly doing a job to support you know, different industries, as we've just been talking about with our lending policy. But I think people don't realise that it doesn't, it doesn't matter how much money they have. It's, their money is still being used for, to, to support different purposes. Um, and, you know, I think the, um, the big banks obviously understand the, the same shifts that we've been talking about in consumer um, behaviour and they are really big. I mean, you know, they are, they have 90% market share in Australia, the four, the four major banks. And so they are using a lot of their clout to do some really good, good things. You know, NAB has, has um, invested significantly in renewable energy. Um, I know that their agriculture, you know, they are looking at, at sustainable agriculture you know, they've got large community funds that are supporting um, entrepreneurs and social entrepreneurs, which is all fantastic. I think what the thing is, what they don't do is that they are not actually currently screening out some of those negative um, industries. And, and the fact is that it's very difficult to know what they are invested in. Um, there's certainly not disclosures like there are starting to be in superannuation of you know, where banks are, are doing their business. And a lot of that is protected under commercial incompetence. You know, they're not going to reveal the deals that, that they do, obviously. So that, that sort of sets up a, a bit of a tension. You know, how do you know? You have to actually ask your bank whether they're invested in it. And 
uh, or you need to rely on some really amazing independent organisations um, who are putting work into um, trying to find out where where investments are made. You know, ICANN, um, who won the Nobel Prize uh, a couple of years ago, has done a lot of work on identifying banks across the world investing in nuclear weapons and nuclear armaments, as an example, and market forces um, has done a similar job on fossil fuel investment. Um, but, you know, it, it just it does point to the fact that it's the transparency is, is not necessarily there. Would you encourage then if there's some people listening into this podcast who are just sort of scratching their heads and, and just wondering if there's... Um, you know, what, what avenues would you suggest they explore if they wanted to uncover and dive a little bit deeper into that transparency around where their bank could be mm. investing that may not be in line with their values? Look, I think at the moment, uh, depending on what you're really passionate about, um, you know, I, I mentioned market forces. I, I think, well, a first step might be to actually ask your bank, which would be really interesting to see what they say and really interesting. I think if more people started asking the questions that it would be, you know, the companies do listen to their customers, you know, just like politicians do. So it would be really fantastic to hear what the, what the responses to those things are. Um, and then there are, you know, organisations like Market Forces, ICANN, and also Animals Australia has been doing some, some work on banking transparency around animal welfare and animal welfare policies. Um, so using those, you know, have a look at those organisations and, and see what they've done, see the research they've done and perhaps go back to your bank and present that research and, and ask them some more questions if that's what it. you're really passionate about. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, why not ask the questions? <laughs> now, um, you mentioned before responsible banking and the policy around there. There's another term that you use I'd love to you, for you to give us a bit of a glimpse into. It's this term of clean money. Do you want to explain uh, what Bank Australia means by clean money? Sure. So at its simplest, we talk about clean money as money that does good in the world rather than harm. So it's, it's a simple concept. Um, we, we didn't actually come up with it. Um, we, we've jumped on uh, the bandwagon of um, a movement that is already kind of underway internationally and a, um, a really impressive guy called Joel Solomon who is known as one of the sort of godfathers of impact investing uh, in Canada and the United States uh, wrote a book called The Clean Money Revolution and he talks about the fact that um, you know, there is about to be the biggest transfer of wealth in the history of, of the world from the baby boomers to the next generation. To the, and that, that is in, you know, it is in the trillions and trillions of dollars. And so, you know, that money as it moves to the next generation, there is a, a choice about, you know, where that money is invested. And this might be in institutional investing, banking, insurance, you know, it touches across the, um, the financial landscape. Um, and Joel is passionate about the fact that we could really, you know, we can turn around so many of the, the issues facing uh, our communities and the planet if we were to redirect investment because and redirect it into clean money and get everybody, you know, get more people on, on board this idea that, you know, their money can, can do good in the world and, and not harm. Um, 
And so we're playing our little part in, in using Joel's language and, and using the idea to help build, you know, a movement in Australia around banking. Uh, but it really is something that we would love to see uh, people talk about clean money in the same way as they talk about clean energy um, because it is just another, another part of the puzzle uh, if we're going to, you know, respond to climate, if we're going to create a fairer, you know, more just society. Yeah, and again, just so speaking the language of OIO as much as our our mission is to try and accelerate as many startups and entrepreneurs and innovators to come up with solutions that are scalable that can help the ocean. At the end of the day, we will be judged in in, a, in 10 years' time by how much money, clean money, we've been able to bring across to this sector because without that transfer of funding, you know, you really are still dealing with a business-as-usual approach. Absolutely, absolutely. I saw that um, you just made some big announcements just this week, actually, and it may be on the back of having a certification for longer, but you're now celebrating your B Corp, B Corp sort of certification. Uh, you want to tell us a little bit about that journey and, uh, and what it means to be a B Corp? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yes, we have announced it this, this um, week, and it is a huge milestone for Bank Australia. Um, we have been aware of the B Corp movement for a long time and we've watched it very carefully and, and over time become sort of more and more enamoured with uh, not just, I guess, what the certification means, but the fact that they are really bringing together this new, gen, you know, this new generation of businesses and providing them with a platform to talk to consumers but also come together to try and... Um, you know, really define what a B economy looks like. So the B stands for benefit. Um, it, it's something, if people don't know, that started in the, in the US. Um, it's a not, started as a not-for-profit and they've managed to galvanise, you know, big and small businesses now around the world. There's about 3,500 um, B Corps now around the world. And what it is, uh, the certification is about... Um, judging and assessing and it's extremely rigorous assessment uh, looking for the highest performance on social and environmental credentials so um, you know I think the important thing about B Corp is they don't just look at you know your CSR or your um, you know the way you do one thing they actually look at your entire business so they you know the questionnaire is, is more than 300 questions um, you have to be able to back up every every single one of your answers, and it, it's an incredible tool. Um, I would encourage anyone who's you know, passionate about business in this space to check out B Corp because it's not just a certification, but it's a way of us all learning from each other and defining and learning about what best practice social and environmental performance looks like. Um, so I'm super pumped because we've we've done a lot of this stuff. Um, you know, we, we've kind of made it up as we've gone along. We've, we've you know looked at evolving standards. We've we've looked at what others are doing. But this this is kind of a new era, I guess, for us to to share what we've learned with other B Corps, but also you know to to learn together about you know how can we all increase our impact? How can we actually all work together? Um, in ways that are, you know, I don't like you know, synergy is such a business word, but really, um, we can be more than the sum, the sum of our parts together. And you know what, um, you know, with Bank Australia being a partner 
for the Pitch Fest 2020 that we'll talk about shortly, when we were going out to try and build this partnership community to, to make sure when we went live with this campaign, it looked and smelt and felt like the real deal. We went out to B Corps. We used the B Labs portal and we looked at all these incredible brands and about a dozen of the partners that we've got on board are B Corps. So it feels to me like it is going through a huge surge at the moment. You mentioned there's three and a half thousand around the world, but I've heard some statistics that the number of people that are going to start the application process, perhaps not realising just how rigorous mm. and um, intensive it is, but it feels to me like the certification is just becoming incredibly reliable and, uh, and, and really something desirable for businesses and for consumers. Yeah, it absolutely is. And uh, even the reaction that we've got on our social channels this week and announcing has been overwhelming. You know, overwhelmingly positive from customers who joined us 30 years ago to new partners. To so it does really show that there's uh, that awareness and you know knowledge of B Corp is growing. Uh, and you're right. I think there's about 55,000 uh, people who are using the assessment tool um, to actually assess. You know, to find out where they're at and to actually get some clues about how they can can continue to improve. And I think they're all. You know, many companies are on a journey. Um, getting certification means that you, you know, there's a, a point at which you have to reach a certain number of points and it's actually pretty, it's pretty tough to get to that, um, that level. And so, that, and that's actually what we like about it. And that's what makes it so credible because you can't be certified unless you've uh, gone through the ringer. <laughs> And then you have Which to do great. it again every every three years, right? <laughs> you don't just get years, yeah. that gold star and that's it, you're done. You've got to keep yeah. going. Yeah. And and the other thing that we really like about B Corp is that they're they are they're raising the bar all the time. So next time we go through, it's gonna be even even harder. Definitely gonna to have to get someone from B Corp on the podcast, I think, because this is just gonna become such a constant theme, not only for us as a business and as an organization, but for all those businesses and organizations that we touch along our yeah. journey. Speaking of another sort of certification, um, carbon neutrality, is this um, something that is new for Bank Australia? Can you talk us a little bit about um, being a carbon neutral business? Yeah, sure. Uh, no, it's not new for us. We've we've been certified as carbon neutral since two thousand and eleven. Um, so yeah, that's actually kind of quite a long time now, isn't it? <laughs> Being in twenty twenty, um, we've look. We still use offsets um, for for part of our um, carbon neutrality, and uh, we've been involved in um, buying our offsets from a, a really amazing. Uh, project in East Timor um, that is trying to reforest uh, parts of East Timor with um, the slow-growth Jarrah trees. Um, but it's a really interesting um, project that not only um, funds villages to replant the trees, it actually keeps funding those communities to look after the trees. So it's not a kind of plant and forget. Um, so it also generates an ongoing income for those communities that benefits them along the whole journey, not just once, you know, when they plant them and when they, they, they might be ready for um, harvesting. So, um, you know, but we, I guess just to, to be transparent, we're not, it's not that we don't generate any emissions. <laughs> we are still using offsets. 
Um, but the last year we took a big step and um, for, fulfilled our commitment to use 100% renewable electricity. Uh, so that was a big step forward in, in, in our reducing our emissions and we're constantly looking for ways to do that. But we feel that um, being carbon neutral now is really probably, you know, the minimum that you, you should be doing as a business. Um, and there are some really uh, fantastic projects that can be supported, um, like the one in East Timor, that there are many others under the gold standard um, that provide benefits environmentally as well as to local communities. Um, so, you know, the, the carbon neutrality, I guess, is um, has just been, it's, it's business as usual for us. And um, it's great to see so many other businesses now signing up to Climate Active um, here in Australia, but also, you know, making commitments around renewable electricity and energy. Yeah, definitely. We might even loop back to that question a little bit about this sort of, uh, the future economic trends in Australia around renewables. But um, people listening are probably going, okay, wow, this is um, like tick, tick, tick for, for Bank <laughs> Australia. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that down another, uh, take it up a notch again and sort of talk about some of the, you know, the organisations and projects that you support and, and one in particular which is active at the moment as we near the end of August, I will be asked to shave off half of my <laughs> beard to go half cut in order to try and protect the world's forests of which 50% half of all forests have been have been lost so tell us a little bit about some of the initiatives you support but maybe start with this this one that you've been backing which is uh, halfcut.org yeah look halfcut.org is is an amazingly innovative um, conservation idea and organization so um, Jimmy Halfcut, as he's known, he he actually um, has half a beard all year round, um, and you know it is a really powerful symbol for the fact that half of the world's rainforests have been lost. The project that we're supporting at the moment is a crowdfunding uh, project to actually buy a piece of land in the Dane Tree that is available. Um, so it's available for purchase and we're trying to help Halfcut raise enough money to purchase that rainforest and protect it in perpetuity and provide a handed back to um, the ownership of the, of the local traditional owners um, and have the um, Aboriginal rangers be responsible for uh, the ongoing um, protection of that, that forest. Um, the thing that we love about that so much is that it's um, it's not just practical and it's not just um, important, but it you know it ties all of those things together. You know the forest, the um, the cultural heritage, uh, and it's doing it in a way that people can actually feel again they can feel empowered to to do something that has a real and meaningful impact. Um, and the response from our customers has been absolutely amazing. Um, the you know we raised we reached our first target in less than twenty four hours of twenty thousand dollars, and you know we're now up to and I'm going to have to repeat that question because I now have just it's literally the the team has been updating it every every couple of minutes. <laughs> I think when I looked before, it was already over the $80,000 mark. 
but it's um, pretty impressive. So this is just yeah. what your team has helped to raise. And I think the overall project, it's, it's tracking really well. It ends on the, the 31st of August. So get in there it and does. donate. Um, and obviously the thing I love about it, and I've watched Jimmy's journey over the years is that it's just such a, it's a compelling campaign, right? Obviously you've got a guy walking around with yeah. half a beard and people with half their hair braided or only wearing half a side of their face with makeup. It's, it's a good conversation starter, which is what we need to have. It is absolutely. Yeah. No, it's very inspiring. Yeah. Good stuff. Tell us maybe about some of the other um, initiatives, environmental and community and social that you have um, backed and, and been involved with over the years. Hmm. There's probably a couple that I would touch on there. So the, our flagship project is our conservation reserve. Um, so we, we believe that we're still the only bank in the world to own its own conservation reserve. Um, so ours is in the West Wimmera of Victoria and we purchased the first property in 2008 and have purchased sort of five properties in that area since then and it, it makes up it's almost a thousand hectares um, the first phase of that project was really regenerating uh, farmland that had become disused and um, you know had degraded to the point where it wasn't viable anymore but we've so we spent a lot of time um, doing bush regeneration um, looking trying to figure out you know what what used to be there and, and restoring it as much as we can um, but in the last three years, we've really shifted gear with that project and we've become very focused on um, a couple of uh, endangered species. So our properties have uh, some of the last remaining habitat for the um, southeastern red-tailed black cockatoo, which is on the national um, endangered list. There's only about 1,100 of them left and they are magnificent birds. Um, so we've been very, we're very focused now on trying to make sure that we protect and, and increase their habitat. We've also um, been very focused on, um, again, we, we did a cultural heritage survey on, on the reserve last year, which, you know, it, it kind of breaks my heart that um, it's one of the only cultural heritage surveys that have been done in that area um, just because we wanted to know what was there rather than because it was under threat uh, from development or, or something. Um, and, you know, on our small properties, we found, you know, an amazing women's area, a number of scar trees. Um, and, you know, this, that area in particular that was cleared so early, there is so little left of um, the, the traditional you know, cultural heritage. And so it's been absolutely mind-blowing to form a really strong partnership with the Burundi Gadjan Land Council and to work with them and provide them with um, country to actually start to rediscover some of that heritage. Um, we've also, just a few weeks ago, done our first um, traditional burn on the property, which was two years in the planning and making. Um, and it, and it actually also involved getting um, some traditional owners from up north in the Northern Territory to come down and help transfer some of that knowledge back to that local community. Um, and so to actually have them do that um, a few weeks ago was, you know, it, it, it's the power of that is, is it, it still gives me chills, it makes me quite emotional actually. <laughs> 
Um, so it's a conservation project that we're trying to broaden out to be something that can, um, again, kind of lead on, you know, we're in a pretty luxurious um, position in that we don't have to fight for funding. We don't have expectations of what our reserve can do. We can really shape it and, and we're trying to use it to, to show people what's possible. Um, private land conservation is going to be absolutely critical um, into the future. Uh, you know, the government is not, it, it, it's going to be a big ask for them to protect big tracts of land. And so private private land needs to play a big part if we're going to actually protect some of the biodiversity that's left and also help, you know, help the ecosystems um, adapt to climate change. So pretty impressive what you've already achieved there and, and perhaps there's, there's more to do, but is it part of the of the vision of the business to, to be able to do more of that in future and to set, like you said, that, that leadership model for other businesses to follow? Yeah, definitely, Tim. And I think, you know, we, over the past five years, we've had a very ambitious growth strategy, you know, and people have sort of said, well, why do you want to grow? It's great that you're small because, you you know, you're so, it's friendly and, and small, but we really want to grow. We want to be big because if we're big, then we can do more. And, you know, the impact that we can have as we grow um, is, we think it's exponential. Um, so we have a very, we're very ambitious about where we want to get to, um, but it's all guided by this purpose. And so, you know, I would love to be as big as NAB. Can you imagine what we could do if we were that big? <laughs> um, but in the meantime, as we grow, um, yes, our plan is to continue to find um, find areas where we can lead conversations, we can um, seed projects and ideas that can, um, you know, proof of concept ideas that we hope others will follow and that others can, can you know, draw knowledge from. And I've been really, really um, encouraged just in the last probably 12 months, I've been approached by um, a number of other companies, but also, um, you know, conservation organisations who are who are seeing a lot more um, interest from the private sector in biodiversity. So, um, you know, it's fabulous and, and we're, we're wanting to share you know, everything we can about what we've learned so far. I love it. Well, I'm imagining people coming into this podcast are a little bit about, okay, I saw that Bank Australia were partners of Pitchfest and I want to know a little bit more about them. If they've made it this far, they've, they've probably got a pretty good understanding of why we wanted to partner with you guys for Pitchfest, but... I'm going to turn that on its head and say, why did you want to partner with Ocean Impact Organisation for Pitchfest? Do you have a response for, for me and for those people listening in? Yeah, for sure. Um, well, it, it's actually, you know, it's actually completely related to the point that I just made, Tim, and that, you know, we, we can see that Pitchfest wants to unearth some new ideas and it, it wants to unearth and, and shine the light on people who are, you know, passionate about trying to in, improve, um, you know, the health and, and viability of the ocean. And, you know, and they're also trying to, um, you know, use innovative um, enterprise kind of thinking in order to do that. And, you know, that is kind of us in a nutshell. Um, and we, would, we, we have not had a great deal to do with... Um, ocean science or um, ocean conservation and so 
um, for that fact. It was a really, you know, we obviously understand that the ocean is is connected to the land as the land is connected to the ocean. Uh, so there was that opportunity. And I think also we, you know, we were really interested in helping use our channels to, to tell the stories that Pitchfest are going to unearth. Um, you know, we really believe in the power of storytelling um, and so supporting you to find those stories and to elevate them and to attract investment into them um, is, you know, is a great opportunity and I, I really just can't wait to see what comes out of it. Yeah, well, I can give you the... <laughs> the, the sneak peek is that we're only, you know, three to four days into the Pitchfest six-week application window. But, yeah. my gosh, the applications are seriously impressive. They're exceeding our expectations. And, you know, the uh, ultimate winner and the finalists and runners-up will be announced on the 4th of November 2020. And I think we are going to have a lot of very exciting um, startups and established businesses to talk about. No, that's that's brilliant. That's brilliant. I was, um, I have to say, I was actually my first kind of insight into all of this was the twenty forty documentary, um, Dan Gamow's twenty forty with the you know the kelp farms, and I you know it was an idea that I'd never really come across, and so you know it's, um, I'm sure there's a million of those ideas out there. <laughs> Oh, there is. And, you know, we've been yeah. going out to media to announce Pitchfest and one of the leading angles we've been taking is just talking about the marine industries and the blue economy in Australia. And it's by 2025 predicted to be a $100 billion industry. You know, there's a lot out there that's already in play and there's a lot more that's slated to scale and, and offshore um, seaweed production and marine permaculture. Massive opportunities for not only the economic markets of being able to sell um, back into cultures that are looking at it as a, a food supplement. You've got it going into cattle feed to reduce methane, mm -hmm. let alone the fact it's drawing down massive amounts of carbon, so therefore available for carbon trading schemes as well. It's a very exciting frontier. Mm, definitely. Good segue. This is pretty much one of our last um, lines of question, but, um, you know, it is the end of August 2020 and we are starting to shift our lens and focus to what the future economic recovery looks like in Australia and around the world. I wonder if you wouldn't mind giving us a bit of an insight into some of the trends that you're seeing and how Bank Australia is positioning yourselves as a business, but also as an advocate for the kind of future that you want to see. Sure. Um, look, I think, you know, it, these are not kind of business as usual times. And I think in, in the short to medium term, we are going to be very, very focused on doing whatever we can to help our customers through this, this period. Um, you know, we are expecting that there will be people who will, you know, be in difficult situations um, and there will be people who will be, you know, losing their assets and that sort of thing. And we, you know, we will be very focused on um, going over and above to... Uh, support those those customers. Um, we are also, though, trying to keep an eye on the opportunities that come out of you know coming at come out of disaster, and we really think that there is a great opportunity for uh, not just us but but everybody to really think about: Do we want to go back to was the normal we had before? Is that the normal we want in the future? And it's a it's a pertinent time to ask that question. 
uh, we certainly think and we, we are in the process of, I guess, developing our own kind of discussion paper about um, a renewable-led um, economic recovery and, and trying to drive some of the trends that we've seen already happening. Um, you know, people coming together, cooperative kind of purchasing and building of, of housing as well. Um, you know, new models can, can emerge from um, the ashes of, <laughs> of COVID. Uh, and also, you know, there, are, there will be money flowing. Money will need to flow in order for the, the economy to, to restart. And so why, why not, you know, use this opportunity to, to fund the things that are going to be much more positive for the long-term, you know, long-term health of Af our communities and also the planet. Um, it's, um, it, it's an exciting time in that way, but it's also going to be, you know, it's going to be a really um, kind of difficult time. Yeah. Now tell yeah. us about it. We, we yeah. throw that line so closely as well as a, as a brand new organisation. You know, we just have to keep coming back to the vision and, you know, to ride through the rocky moments because our vision is firmly fixed on a future that is doing things differently. Like we love that line of mm -hmm. business as unusual because in many ways, business, mm -hmm. as unusual, business as usual got us into this mess. And so anyone mm -hmm. at Bank Australia or OIO and others that is firmly focused on that vision for a better way of doing things, the opportunities will come if we can make it mm -hmm. through, <laughs> which I'm sure we can. Well, the research is showing that people are expecting business to step up and they're ex they're going to you know be, ex be watching business very carefully as it comes out of this so <laughs> that's a good thing <laughs> that's a good thing all right Fiona well I might leave it to you just to sort of close out with any uh, final remarks was there anything you wanted to say today that you didn't get a chance to and uh, if uh, if nothing else then maybe just send people to where they can find out more information sure look I think you know we didn't really want to end on the, the COVID note, but um, you know, these, I guess, even though we're in a, in difficult times, um, there are things that we can all do and, you know, purpose driven people um, are going to be the future and we are going to make um, a positive impact. So, you know, perhaps we could use this time to, to redouble our efforts. Um, if, um, if you'd like to, you know, learn a bit more about what we're doing, um, you know, we are posting some, some pretty cool stuff on Instagram, um, but we also, you know, visit our website if you like, which is bankost.com.au and, and have a little explore around. Um, you know, we'd love to hear from people. We're, we're very, very friendly kind of bunch and we love to answer people's questions and, you know, we love people to dig deep and, and you know, really get to, get to the bottom of their questions. So it's been so, so fantastic to have the opportunity to talk to everyone today. Well, thanks again so much for your time, Fiona, and yeah, thanks Bank Australia too uh, for, for their support of, of OIO. So uh, thanks again and see you later. No worries, see ya, thanks.
shit out of